We have had a fun series um, for Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. It's been amazing to see how they work so well together, you know? I think it's so cool. I've never been a part of something where on Sundays, if you show up Wednesday, you're still getting something from Sunday as you're getting something new on Wednesday, but it all is the exact same message in a way. Does that make sense? So I think that's really cool. But the first uh, Wednesday, Pastor Jeff hit the, uh, the wayward, the way path. Seed, uh, seed that's planted in the soil and how the enemy comes and snatches it up. And then last week, Pastor Joel did an amazing job talking about the rock, rocky soil and how it's not really the big rock, it's not really the medium-sized rock, but the pebbles that really stump us, right? So he really rocked that one. I'm done, I promise, with those bad jokes. And then uh, Sunday, Pastor Joel did an amazing uh, sermon on producing fruit where you are. You know, he made it applicable to your life that wherever you are in life, you can still bear fruit and your fruit is different than anybody else's. And I actually have an amazing testimony. I'm not going to say your name, but I want to read this to you. Some of you may have stumbled upon it on Facebook. This really blessed our staff, man. I, I, it made me tear up. It was beautiful. This lady, I know her. We graduated high school together. And uh, she, she is just an amazing woman, you know, and she's really just finding her way again, all over again in life. And she's have, she has a baby on the way, and she just moved back to Sulphur Springs. And she put this on Facebook, and it really encouraged me because if you were here on Sunday, you remember that you were more than welcome to take some of these apples. And she said, so here's my morning story. A sweet friend of mine knocked on my door, freaked me out if you know me. Uh, you know I don't ever have anyone come over. She handed me this apple and she said, we were given fruit at our service on Sunday and was told to bless this fruit with someone. Instantly I thought of you and knew I was going to give it to you. I have prayed over this apple since then and have prayed for you. I want you to know you will be fine, your baby will be fine, and you will make it through. I planted a seed in this as, you, as for you a fresh start. You can eat this apple to bless you and your baby, or you can just stare at it as a reminder that God loves you. It's not a big present, but know that I love you. She said, I am still in tears. I'm always emotional these days because I'm pregnant, but I feel so blessed to have people in my life who pray for me and bring me such joy. God, thank you for placing this lady in my life. Guys, how beautiful is that, man? That tugged on my heart so much. Our staff was so encouraged. I want to thank you. If, if you've done anything with your apple, if you haven't, either way, man, thank you. Thank you so much. And it's not too late, you know. And by the end of the service, you're more than welcome to take another apple. But that is, that is giving, that's bearing fruit where you are. Can I get an amen? And she, yeah, yeah give God a hand clap of praise. That really, you know, the Bible says that some plant, some water, only God gives the increase, right? But she got to plant or she got to water, whatever, but God gave an increase in her life. So we are thankful for that. And I believe her baby is going to be super blessed by this. Amen. Hey, just in case, if you did not get a handout, uh, will you raise your hand? I believe you all did. Margaret is always on top of it. She is. Thank you, Margaret, so much. Hey, we're going to go ahead and jump into this. I'm going to read Mark chapter 4, verse 2, and going all the way to verse 9. If you do have your Bible, please go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5 and just stay there. That's the one thing that I could not fit on this outline, and I really would love for you to be there. If not, just you can hear me, and then you can go back and read it, and it'll work either way. Amen. It says, and he, Jesus, was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, look at your neighbor, say behold. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And, it immediately, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. 
And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed, this is the important part, other seed fell among thorns. Look at your neighbor, say among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to get started. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, as I said, thank you that your Bible is true and it can be trusted no matter what. Jesus, you are the word made flesh and we thank you for that. And we thank you that you gave us an example of how to live out the gospel. So allow ears, as, as Jesus said himself, those who have ears, let them hear. God, I thank you that hearts will be touched. People, as I said, some water, some plant, only you give the increase. So thank you for what you're gonna do tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. When I was in high school, four years ago, it was way longer than any of you guys, so I mean, you, you have some catching up to do. But when I was in high school, I loved baseball. It's my favorite sport. It was the only sport that I played. I tried basketball one year in high school, and I was the only white person, and I only scored one point, and they took that one point away from me. But I'm not bitter about it. If you can't, I mean, I don't need freedom ministry or anything like that, so we're good. But I loved baseball, and my favorite position to play was pitcher. I loved to pitch. I thought it was so much fun. It was a life, the, the, the heart of baseball to me. And I mean, all eyes were on me. So that was a cool thing at 17 years old, right? So I thought, hey amen, Bo. So, you know, I loved those days where we would have tournament weekends, which were upcoming now in February and March before it really kicked off in the season. And I would love hearing, Elliot, you're pitching this game. You're starting this game pitching. So they'd let me know sometimes three, three days in advance, one week in advance, sometimes just right before the game started. You just depended. But there was one specific time we had a tournament, and it was in Forney. And we were going to play Rockwall Heath. If you are up to date with anything about sports, high school sports, you know Rockwall Heath is absolutely insane and intense and way better than what Sulphur Springs usually is. They're a big school, they're a wealthy school, and they're scary. But I was excited to pitch against this team. I was just so confident, probably because once again, I was 17 years old and I thought I knew everything, could do everything on my own. And you know, that's not true. At the time, I didn't want to admit that. But I was so excited when they told me a week before and I started, man, when I heard the good news that I was gonna start pitching, I just started planning for it. And I was so crazy that I would actually go to sleep and hold a baseball in my hand with a specific type of pitch. Like if I was ready and I was excited to throw my splitter in the middle of the night, I don't know how I did it because it was so uncomfortable, but I would hold it in the middle of the night. That's all I would think about in class. I'd be so excited. I'd have a plan on how I would strike someone out and I would practice even whenever we would warm up and just play catch. I would throw like I was pitching because I was all in. I loved it. If you have ever played baseball or softball, the one thing, the greatest thing, it's, it's just like a wedding day. You're probably going to say, no, it's not, but I'm going to say it is. The worst thing that you could ever see on a wedding day is dark clouds. Worst thing you could ever see in baseball is dark clouds. So I come outside. I'm excited. I'm thinking, oh, it's time to play baseball. And I get out of school all day because it's a 9 o'clock in the morning game. And I get on the bus and I look up and there is nothing but dark clouds. I'm not even born again yet. And I'm over here praying, God, don't let there be rain. Don't let there be rain. Let me play my game. Has anybody ever been here for anything like this? Or is this just me? I know a lot of guys are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, next thing you know, it rains. And I'm so upset because I just heard this amazing news that I was going to get to pitch. 
It's my favorite position. But then every negative thought went through my head, mostly because, again, I was 17 years old, and I'm over here going, I'm never going to get the pitch again. They're never going to believe in me. This is my one shot. All these scouts were going to be here to watch me play because I'm that good. Not really. But I was so excited and then so devastated. And you know, this is such a meaningless story and so silly, and you're probably thinking, Hunter, why are you talking about this? Because there's a lot of times in our church, whenever we hear a great message, and we have been given a plan, and we know we can take an apple, and we can go produce fruit where we are, but because something comes our way, or gets in our way, or an evil thought goes across our head, it completely diminishes all the good news we were just given. Can I get an amen? Are you with me? So I want to talk to you today about what that looks like and 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 what if we would get to a place of rest in jesus how much easier this gospel life is about is that does that sound good to you guys awesome we're gonna hit my first point choked up choked up a lot of times i've gotten choked up because i've been so mad and i wanted to cry but not that kind of choked up before we begin this message let's read in mark 4 where jesus explains what this parable is about in Mark 4:18, he says, and, other, and, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, a lot of times in life, let's go back to whenever we hear a great message or, or, or we get in the word and we get something amazing from the word of God, and we leave, you know, and a lot of struggles that we have in the Christian life that I've come across, and I will never go a message without preaching who you are in Christ, because I think that is one of the most amazing foundational things you can get as a Christian, and you can never get enough of that, amen? I think we get choked up by the enemy because we allow ourselves to think what the world thinks about us. We allow our jobs to dictate if we're making it or not. We allow it, 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 and hear me out, I know that this is important, but we allow if we've had a specific college degree or if we've only had an associate's or a bachelor's or if we didn't even finish high school, we allow that to become if we're successful in life or if we're not. We allow that to dictate if we're going to make it or if we're not. We allow if, if, if we're a single parent or if we're a, married, a healthy marriage or if we're not a healthy marriage, that's what decides who we are. We allow what we wear and what we can afford to wear, that's who we are. Can I tell you today, tonight, that that has nothing to do with who you are? Everything on this earth, it is so, so trivial compared to where we're going to be one day. Can you, I can't fathom this completely, but the fact that some of us may only be on this earth for like 70 years compared to eternity in heaven, this means nothing, you know? It's a beautiful thing. This is a temporary home. We're alienated from this place. We don't even belong here. That's beautiful. A lot of us are choked up by identity of the world, but, but see, the thing is, Satan is the God of this world. That's what the Bible tells us. And, and if we would quit focusing on, on our, eye, our eyes on the world, but we would put our eyes on the Word and know that the Word is Jesus himself, it's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. No, it's God the Father, God the Son, who is the Holy Bible, the Word made flesh, and God the Holy Spirit. There's a really cool scripture right here, and I think I wrote it on your outline. It says, it's in John 1.14, but I got it from a different translation, and I think a lot of you are really going to like this. I came across, Alicia's looking at me laughing because I can't quit talking about this translation. It's called the Woost. It looks really oddly spelled, but it's a Woost translation. This man named Kenneth Woost, he went back, and he took, he looked at the 
uh, the scriptures that are in English. But he, then he went back and looked at the Greek of what that meaning was, and then he brought it back over to English. So it's basically a glorified, amplified Bible. Amen? And I am in love with it. I don't want to read any other version. It's just so cool. And I'll show you how it's so cool. It says, In the Word, entering a new mode of existence, became flesh and lived in a tent, which is his physical body among us. And we gazed with attentive and careful regard and spiritual perception at his glory, a glory such as that of a uniquely begotten son, Jesus, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Is that not beautiful? Is that not so cool how it expresses that about Jesus? That's everything that Jesus is, man. The word has a super abundant answer to everything the world deceitfully offers. Can I get an amen? See, a lot of times, whenever we hear about our identity, whenever somebody stands in front of you, I've had this happen a lot with different people, and you tell people that they're righteous, they can't believe that. But it's so much easier for believers to say that they're sinners. But it says that we are righteous people because of God. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's beautiful, man. The Bible says that we are accepted in the beloved in Ephesians 1. It says that we've been predestined before the foundations of the world in Ephesians 1. It says that we've been given every good gift from above from the Father of lights. It says that we've been given an inheritance. Every good spiritual blessing is from above, man. Like It says that he has made us a masterpiece. I mean, there's so much that the Bible says about us. Isaiah 43 says that he made us for his glory. Psalm 139 says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's so much that the Bible says about us. He, he trusts us enough that even our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Like this should get you fired up. It says that you have favor with God and with man. It says that you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. You're the salt of the earth. Like there's so much that the word of God says. I could go on and on and on. But see, a lot of times we hold on to what the world says about us. We allow circumstances to dictate who we are. But church, I'm here to tell you there's so much more beautiful things about it. See, a lot of times we say, no, this, this gospel of grace is too good to be true. No, but I will tell you it's so good and it is 100% true. Jesus is about grace and he's about truth. There's nothing other than that. It all falls under that, amen? I mean, Jesus is truth himself. He's the way, the truth, and the life, as he tells us in John 14, 6. See, whenever we are categorized, people that are categorized in the thorny soil, they want to bear fruit that remains. They, they hear the word of God. They're empowered. They're challenged. You know, um, this goes a lot with, for instance, the church camp goers that like, oh, I'm going to change the world. I, I'm a world changer, as Rage talks about. I'm a revivalist, as Pastor Damon talks about. They say all these things, and it's great. But then they get back in the real world, and they go, oh, man, but I really, really, really like doing this instead. That's a thorny soil. That's what chokes up what the Word of God says, because sometimes we just want more pleasures to ourselves, and then we don't really want to fully do what God wants us to do. Does that make you any less? Absolutely not. Does that make you fail, a failure? Absolutely not. The word of God still says who you are, amen? No matter what you do, you're still righteous. And it's hard for some people to hear. Can I get an amen? amen? But see, Jesus, when he was on the cross, before he was on the cross, they put a, thorn, a crown of thorns on his head. And that is so symbolic. 
Because Jesus died not only, yes, he died for your sins and he died for your sicknesses and iniquities and all this stuff, but I believe personally and completely that he died and he had that crown of thorns placed on his head so you would never have to have a negative thought about yourself. Because if he's talking about these thorns being what chokes up the word of God because of anxieties of the world and these, and, and these lusts for money and this, the, these other pleasures to the word, world that are not mentioned in those scriptures, he's talking about what you think about yourself. Yeah, Jesus doesn't want you to think that. He, he took that away. Just how he took away sickness, just how he took away sin, he took away evil thoughts that you have to think about yourself. You don't have to think that way. Can I get an amen? Oh, this gets me excited. Are you excited? Are you having fun? Sorry, I can't contain it. Point number two, concerned with worldly possessions. I've already said, you know, Pastor Joel, he gives a great message. We walk away and we're having, we, we, we believe in it. But a lot of times whenever we're exiting the church parking lot, those, those worries, those fears come back. They creep back up in our life, right? And maybe you're thinking, well, Hunter, you just don't know what I've gone through. You're right. I don't know what you've gone through. But I can't tell you that we have nothing to be anxious about whenever we understand how to enter into the promise of rest that was given to us. You know, some of us may have skipped over this, and that's okay, but I'm going to bring something to, you, to, to light to you that I've been so excited to share. I've talked to everybody on staff about it, and I've probably driven them crazy, but um, it's fun, so I'm not really going to stop. So Derek, he deals with it the most because we office together, so usually I think he likes it, but he may kind of want to wring my neck too. But see, you know what's cool is we get to rest in the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. Because of Jesus, we don't go to a cross. Because of Jesus, we don't have eternal judgment in hell. Because of Jesus, if we have accepted his, him as Lord and Master and King and Savior and all these great things, one time, if we did it one time and believed it fully, we get to rest in the fact that he already did it. There's a reason he said it is finished. There's a reason why he made resting such a serious thing. If you don't believe me, Let's look in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 11. Verse 1 says, therefore, the Hebrews writer said, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Wow. Out of all the things he could talk about, we should be fearful of. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that one may fall by the same, so, so, excuse me, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You may be going, Pastor Runner, how do you, what do you mean by rest? I'm going to explain it to you because a lot of times we don't necessarily go deeper and explain what someone's talking about. What is bare fruit? What is inner rest? What is this? What is, I'm going to explain it to you and it, it's going to be fun. Amen? See, we go in life a lot of times where we have storms come our way. It's just what happens to human beings. We live in a fallen and broken world. Things happen, right? I'm not going to say that things don't happen. Things happen. But there's not a single storm on this earth that can manipulate or minimize what the Word of God says about conquering that storm. I'll give you an example. Because some of you may, I, I know some of you are thinking, dude, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm going to give you the greatest storm in history, and I'm going to show you how you can still rest in that storm. Amen? Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Have, have you read the book of Noah? If you haven't, I'm going to explain it very quickly. It's going to be very easy. There's this man named Noah, and there's this time in the world a long, long time ago where everybody was doing evil in the eyes of God except Noah. 
Noah did not. God called Noah, and he wanted him. It says that in the Bible that he was actually righteous, blameless, and he walked with the Lord. It says that in Genesis 6, 9. And he called Noah. He said, I want you to build an ark. I'm going to bring judgment on the earth, flood the earth. By the way, they had not known anything about rain at that time. This was the first encounter of rain. He said, I'm going to build, I want you to build an ark, and I want you to bring this many animals on and this many unclean animals on, and then you're going to close it up for 40 days and 40 nights. It's going to rain nonstop. I'm going to flood the earth, destroy all of humanity, and it's going to be you and your fam, bam, that are going to continue to be here. Some of y'all are laughing at me because I say that. I love that word. Um, Made it up, by the way. But he gets off, he finally gets off of the ark, and they start a new life. And everybody on this earth is a descendant of Noah. We're descendants of Abraham. We're also descendants of Noah because he's the only one on that earth. Does that make sense? So we see this, and there's a very interesting thing about the name Noah. The name Noah in the Hebrew is Noach. It's Noach. And that name means rest. If you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Noah found rest in the eyes of the Lord. If you transfer the name from Noah and put it to rest, rest found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So in the greatest storm known to man, rest, he was able to rest in, in, that, in that promise. He was able to rest in God. And see, whenever you enter a place of rest, you get the fullness amount of the grace of God on your life. Do you not get grace, the grace of God on your life if you don't enter rest? No, that's not true. But you don't get the fullness. You don't get the most prosperous blessing. You do not get to get in the fullness of God when you are too anxious and too worried about things going on in your life. Because you can't. Because you're not, you're not walking out in faith going, I can rest in Jesus because I know he's got it. Hebrews 11.6 actually says, without faith it is impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, Noah, when he was on the ark, there's a very cool thing that happened. And whenever he was on the ark, it says that he actually sent a raven out the side window. And when he sent this raven out the side window, it searched and searched and searched and was looking for dry land, but it never found it, so it came back. Noah waited seven more days. On the seventh day, he sent out a dove. Notice he changed birds. He sent out a dove. The dove went and searched and searched, didn't find anything, came back. Waited seven more days. He sent out the same dove. Sent out that dove, and the dove brought back an olive branch. There's something symbolic there. I'll get back to it. Then he waited seven more days. And on the seventh day, Noah sent the dove. The dove did not return, which means it found rest. It found land. See, ravens in the Old Testament, ravens in the Bible, symbolically, they represent two things. Religion, death. Religion and death. See, there's something about religion Whenever we live in a state of works and we live in a state of fear, religion will take you to a place where you will look and you will look on your own and you will continue to strive and you will continue to work, but you will not find anything and you'll come back where you already started. You run in a big circle and you give up. Notice the raven didn't go back out. See, but, 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 but the dove represents the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain that in a moment too. But see, the Holy Spirit, if you trust in him, if you have a relationship with Jesus... And you're not worried about things going on. He's going to take you to a place where he will continue to look and point you to Jesus. And here's my reason for that. Because the olive branch represents peace. And the prince of peace. 
And it was a beautiful picture. I'm giving you a lot, but I can only speak to you every six weeks, so you're just going to have to hear me out, okay? And if you've got a question, we can talk about it again. I'll go all over it with you again. But it represents the Prince of Peace. And see, Jesus, before he died on the cross, he was praying to the Father in the Mount of Olives. And the cool part about that is when Noah was on the ark, the water represents judgment. It represents um, the wrath of God. It represents all of this judgment that he did because he poured out judgment on man with water, right? See, it represents Jesus. There's a coming because Noah was a typology, which means a foreshadowing of the coming Jesus Christ, okay? And because of that, he was, he was foretelling, foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do forever on judgment on man. And he took that judgment on the cross, how cool is that? But see, the Holy Spirit never came back because he found a place to rest, which he took Noah to a place to rest. But you never see that Holy Spirit again, right? Man, this is getting really cool. I hope you're hearing me out. So you never see the Holy Spirit again, but I, I find this no coincidence whatsoever that when you see Jesus is baptized in the New Testament, it says that when he was baptized in the Jordan, which here's something even cooler. Jordan, if you look up the Greek, it means death. When he was baptized into death that Romans 6 talks about, it says that the heavens opened. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And right then, it says that the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove. And it remained on Jesus. The Holy Spirit, is he's in every single one of you believers. Just because you don't have a prayer language, let me just nip this real quick. Because you don't have a prayer language or you think it's weird, does not mean you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every person, when you said yes to Jesus, you accepted the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? And I said this last time, but he's not a weird person, okay? He's actually a lot of fun, but I'll preach that another time. I want to read to you. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. This is in the Woost version again. I just think uh, Matthew 20, 11, 28, it's just that scripture. We all know it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, okay? And we all know that scripture. I want to read this in this version because it's, it's beautiful. Jesus said, come here to me, all who are growing weary to the point of exhaustion and who have been loaded with burdens and are bending beneath their weight and I alone will cause you to seize from your labor and take away your burdens and thus refresh you with rest. Take at once my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find cessation, which cessation means an end, from labor and refreshment for your souls. For my yoke is mild and pleasant and my load is light and weight. Can we give God a hand clap of praise for that? So with all of this, you see, you see that Noah, his name means rest, which by, by, if we are all descendants of Noah, I want you to understand, yes, we are uh, heirs to the promise, like it says in Galatians about Abraham, but we are heirs to rest. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And if we are heirs to rest, and we see Jesus is the one who, where it says that the Holy Spirit that descended in a bodily form like a dove in the gospel of Luke, it says it just like that. And if we see that, and it remained on him. And if Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come on, man. If Christ is in you and that's the hope of glory it talks about in Colossians 1, that means you have rest every single day of your life. No matter what storm comes your way, that, get, that, should, get you, that should give you hope. That should get you excited. That should make you just have a transformation in your mind saying, there is not a single thing in my life that can tear me down. 
If, it's, if we sing that he's never going to let us down, are we truly believing that we can enter into the, not the place, but the promise in the person of rest and know that he is the one who can lead us. He is the one who sets us free. He's the one who gave us hope and future. He's the one that gives us peace. Are you with me? Man, how good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? And how good is the Holy Spirit that he will always lead us to the place of rest who is Jesus? See, rest, it's not a place and it's not a day. My mom and I heard this, uh, this, uh, this weekend when we were going to Athens. And this person, he said, rest is not a place and it's not a day. It's a person. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I need my rest day. No, I understand, like, relaxing. I understand that's an important thing. Trust me. People don't see me on Saturdays because I hide from the world and I rest. But, but rest is a person. You shouldn't wait till that one day out of the week where you rest. Sunday is not your Sabbath. The Sabbath is a person. It's Jesus, man. He's your rest. Are you with me? Point number three. I'm wrapping it up. Commit to what is true. See, when we hear and we read and we speak the word of God, it never returns back void. How beautiful is that? You know, if you speak the word of God over your life, it doesn't return void. If you pray the word of God over somebody, it doesn't return void. If you live by the word of God, it doesn't mean that you're just living an empty life. It actually means that it's impacting your life. Amen? God gave us something so precious, which supersedes sin and struggles. He gave us his grace. See, I, I want to throw it out there that We've had a, we, uh, the church as a general, the church at capital C, has had a really negative connotation of what grace is. We've really, I don't want to say what I usually say, we've really made grace look bad. Amen? And, and I understand that. And I, ha- I won't lie to you, I, I couldn't preach this message to you if I didn't tell you that I used to be that person. But the last six months, he has only shown me his grace and what it means to rest and how good he is. How good I am because he's so good. Amen? See, grace, it allows you to, our pastor hit a great message called grace for that place. Grace allows us to be in the same ministry as God. Grace allows us to be the body of Christ. Grace allows us that even when we mess up on Saturday evening, we can show up on Sunday morning and still know that we are righteous. It actually means when we mess up on Saturday evening, we're still righteous on Saturday evening. You don't have to go through a whole ritual. You don't have to cleanse yourself. You don't have to pray and uh, get on your knees and on your face and uh, just spend all this time begging for forgiveness. You get to thank God because it's already happened. You get to thank God because it's been finished. You get to thank God because he redeemed you with the blood of Jesus. And it says that that is what is the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. Working unto the Lord in the place of rest, that's what bears fruit that remains. But now, whenever we worry, uh, uh, last year, I really, uh, about this time, I was really stressed out and really worried, very fearful about, God, I'm not doing enough. God, I'm not bearing fruit. God, I didn't pray for somebody today at Walmart. What's wrong with me? I didn't, I didn't get to encourage somebody. I didn't even, uh, God, I was in a bad mood all day, so I didn't get to even be a great representation of you. God, I didn't even, I didn't, I prayed for that person. They didn't get healed. So what's wrong with me? I spent all this time beating myself up. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. It's not, the gospel's not about showing yourself approved. It's knowing you're approved. It's not about doing all these works. It's about resting in Him and knowing He's the one that supplies those works. 
See, the Bible tells us to do all things unto the Lord wholeheartedly, not unto men. It's about doing everything unto him. It's about, like Pastor Joel said, about these apples and bearing fruit, that it's from the place of rest that really does things. Whenever we're so worried about bearing fruit that remains, that we have to do this and do that and, and, and stop at the stop sign twice the next time we get to that one because we ran it the first time, that is not right. You get to rest in the fact knowing that he gave you grace that is attainable to do everything he's called you to do. And see, the cool part is living in a place of rest is knowing whenever it says in uh, Ephesians 2.10 that he has prepared your works beforehand. That's knowing that you don't have to worry about when to work. That means you don't have to stress out and, and, and be fearful if you don't do enough in the day. We don't work to get loved by God. We love him because he first loved us. First John tells us about that. Church, I really want you to get this today, that there's nothing you can do that would make God love you more. There's not enough works, or there's, there's not any works you could ever do that would make God love you more. His love doesn't change for you. It says he's immutable. It says it's impossible for him to change. He's the same. His nature never changes. And that means his love for you never changes. His love for you is great. He, he, he gave up his son for you. He so loved the world, which is you, that he gave. We can stop right there. We don't even have to finish the scripture. He so loved the world that he gave. I mean, we can. It's, it's a great scripture. But he loves you that much. So if anything, tonight I need you to understand that if we enter into the place of rest, everything else follows. Now I asked you to go to Romans 5, and this is what I'm going to end on. If you have a Bible, cool. If not, please go back later and read it. Romans 5. See, a lot of us, we, we say God can't use us and God doesn't want to talk to us and God does not want us to grab an apple up here and to go bear fruit where we are because uh, we're broken or what we've done or I got fired for doing this or whatever you may be beating yourself up for. And I'm not saying that that's not, a, 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 that's not something that I have compassion for you about, but I want you to know that the gospel tells you how to overcome this situation. Romans 5 verses 9 and 10 it says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we, were while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. See, God was not reconciled to us. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 5, 18 to 20, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Can I get an amen? amen. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And then I'm going to read verse 20 again through the Woost version because it's just so much cooler. Not really all the word of God's cool, but it's okay. I'm biased. It says, moreover, law entered in alongside in order that the transgression might be augmented. But where sin was augmented, the grace superabounded and much more after that. Grace superabounds. Grace superabounds. If, if, you, if you slip up and you stumbled in the sin, can I tell you, grace superabounds. 
It doesn't take amount of time for it to super abound. It's already running over. My cup runs over. Come on, man. That, that grace has got to be running over. Sin no longer has dominion over you. That's what Romans 6 says. So church, I need you to know tonight, there's not a single thing you've done that separates you from the love of God. Can I get an amen? Will you stand with me? Thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for being here. I need you to know you're not broken. And I need you to know, as our pastor said, there's grace for that place. And also, if you didn't get to grab an apple, if you want to grab another one, I, I pray that that lady's testimony has really sparked you. But just know, you can touch somebody's life where you're at. But be led, man. Don't be fearful. Don't, don't think, well, God, I haven't given this apple away. What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. Rest in this. Rest in knowing that Jesus will lead you. Jesus will help you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And, I, and, and some of you, I, I feel that you've just been broken down, heavy, laden, burdened, man, about things of this world or things in your life. Know that he gives you rest that remains. And when things come across you in life, just say, no, God has me. He has me. He's taking care of me. And there's nothing I have to be fearful of. Amen? Pray with me, please. Father, thank you so much for this word. God, I thank you that hearts are being touched. And Lord, just let people know that you love them so much. You gave. You gave your only begotten son, your only reproduced son, that whoever believes in Jesus has eternal, everlasting life. God, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We thank you. Your mercies are new every morning. You're a portion in our hope. We thank you for everything, Jesus. And we know this is all about you. So we praise you tonight and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. If you need to come to the altar, come. If you need an apple, come.